0: Before I speak, I just think we just need to close our eyes for a bit and just let the truth of that last song just wash over us. Sit there, O oh child of God. And just open your ears to what the Spirit might just be saying to you personally at this time. Father, this message now flows from that worship. We come to you as children of God. We come with the ears open to what your spirit is saying. And so, Lord, I simply want to pray for that. That you would indeed give us open ears, open hearts and soul to that which you personally would say to each one of us personally this evening. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Lead and guide us through every part of this time. That our identity as your precious and most loved children would be that much more established in our hearts and lives as we lead here this evening. Amen. This evening I'm going to be sharing with you on the pattern of simplicity and contentment. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that this... Word simplicity has become a bit of a, a buzzword in our culture, um, and you know, in the face of so many competing interests for all of our time and schedules that are, for most people, too stressful and crowded. I think this call to simplicity seems very, very attractive to nearly all of us. So many people today are just feeling so exhausted, so anxious, so overwhelmed, and there is this feeling that if we can just, you know, simplify our lives, then. Everything's going to change. Many of you have even tried to pursue some of the you know, outward expressions of simplicity. I mean, magazines, commercials, books, and Pinterest boards um, have all have got great you know, advice there for, for leading the simple life. And they promise the secrets to a simple, organized, and contented life. But it doesn't take too long for us to realize that all these tips and tricks that they have up their sleeves for us Just leave us with, you know, more to buy, more to do, and even more to long for. You see, if we are just thinking about simplicity as a practical lifestyle choice that makes sense in a very frantic world, we really miss the true heart of simplicity. Because simplicity at its heart is one of those crucial spiritual patterns that we felt was vital to address in our series with you at this time. And it's a spiritual pattern that can help to bring health and wholeness to our souls and enable us to fulfill our mission as followers of Jesus Christ. And yes, certainly it's going to have some very practical outward expressions, but that outward expression of simplicity has to flow from an inward attitude and reality to really make a a real difference in each one of our lives. Two weeks ago when I shared, I told you about Richard Foster, who is very well-known in, in writing about the spiritual disciplines. And in fact, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he defines this simplicity as an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. And what does scripture have to say to us now about this inward reality? Well, one thing Jesus did while he was here on this earth was to set some, down some really important lessons for us about keeping our faith simple. And there's some incredible wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount, which you can um, most easily read about in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And there's just an excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount that I want to to read to you, because I think it tells us us a lot about learning to live simply. And it's from Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, and then a few chapters on from 24 to 33. And I just want to read it to you this evening as a foundation for everything that follows. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then in 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. The discipline and the pattern of simplicity. It begins with inner simplicity. A simplicity of mind and simplicity of heart. And Jesus is telling us here not to worry about the outer material things in our life. But to seek one thing. To be seeking after God's kingdom, to be seeking after God's reign, to be seeking after God's rule in our lives. Inner simplicity comes from keeping the first things first. And Jesus makes that promise, promise that if we, if we put first things first, all the other things will come, but they won't have the hold on us that they would if we sought them first. I love this quote by Richard Foster as well, and I'm packing this. He says, as Jesus made so clear in this passage from Matthew, freedom from anxiety is one of the inward evidences of seeking the kingdom of God first. The inward reality of simplicity involves a life of joyful unconcern for possession. Neither the greedy nor the miserly know that liberty. It has nothing to do with abundance of possessions or their lack. It is an inward spirit of trust. The sheer fact that a person is living without things is no guarantee that he or she is living in simplicity. Paul taught us that the love of money is the root of all evil and often those who have it the least love it the most. It is possible for a person to be developing an outward lifestyle of simplicity and to be filled with anxiety. Conversely, wealth does not bring freedom from anxiety. What we see in this passage is status on earth is not status in heaven. And that is why developing a really strong sense of simplicity can help us from getting so caught up in the next best thing and the next new thing and help us to be more caught up in Jesus Christ this discipline of simplicity is the conscious act of choosing to not be tied to the things of this world and as Shah put up there the next thing we look at is like what is the true heart then of simplicity if simplicity is this inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle then what would the heart of simplicity be well the heart of simplicity is this having a clear purpose because if you're steering towards an end goal that doesn't matter to begin with then there's actually no points in simplifying your life because without a clear purpose you're gonna lack a rubric for deciding how you should be spending your time and how you should be spending your resources without a clear purpose short-term distractions and and short-term pleasures they're going to hijack your progress towards achieving any of your long-term goals without purpose you're going to find that your life is going to be very distracted and often divided brett mckay wrote this that i thought was incredibly helpful he said the purpose of the spiritual discipline of simplicity is to achieve your spiritual purpose that is the purpose of this discipline to achieve your spiritual purpose It is predicated on the idea that you have a unique personal ministry to offer. You have an individual mission to fulfill, that there are things for you to do that only you can do. And you have a sacred obligation to become who you are. And you can only fulfill this calling by becoming a wise steward of all your precious, divinely gifted time and resources. When you've got a clear purpose as the heart of simplicity, then everything in your life is going to flow from this purpose. You're going to know what your goals are. You're going to know what direction you need to be moving in. And your purpose then is going to help you to know what your priorities in life really need to be. And you're going to find then that in order to reach those goals, you're going to have to invariably do some things less in your life. And probably also, you're going to have to do some things more. But true simplicity really is doing less of the things that matter least and doing more of the things that matter most so it's not just a case of emptying your life of all those things that are are, are bad it's actually also a case of filling your life with the good because when your life choices they're flowing from a place of of purpose then because of that purpose you're going to be able to choose the essential over that that's just secondary in your life, you're going to be able to choose what is important over that what's always just urgent and you're going to be able to choose the best over that which just good. When purpose guides your choices, it's going to guide you in doing the right things at the right time and for the right amount of time. When you live simply, you know what you're about, you know what's most important to you, and you spend your time and your resources in ways that are proportional to those priorities. The simple life. Friends, that's the focus life. And focus only comes about through purpose. Without knowing your purpose, you cannot know your priorities. And if you don't know your priorities, your life is destined to be a life that's going to be a bit confused, complicated, often ineffective, and definitely extremely exhausting. So what are some practical tips on implementing simplicity as a pattern in your life? This is a very, very practical input this evening. You know what practices will help us to keep our priorities rightly aligned as we seek after the simple life well the very first practical thing there and that's one we've already covered now is is the importance of knowing your purpose because that's the very first practical thing there and how to discern your purpose you know that's a topic in and of itself and I'm not going to go into that right now but I, I will just say that coming to the place of knowing your purpose can be found through studying God's Word, through spending time in prayer, sometimes through experimentation a bit, through examining your own heart and in in your own life, um, getting input from respected others. But, you know, while everyone's personal mission is going to vary and and be unique there, there is one spiritual purpose that's, you know, that's common to all of us, and that's what we're looking at tonight, to seek first His kingdom, to seek first His righteousness. So only then... Can we make the most of what we've got and use our, our limited time on Earth to be all that we were created to be? And I just wanted to, you know, very brief, briefly, just share with you, you know, um, my purpose that that I've come to discover, and I've, I've made it very simplified. Um, there's more to it, but this is just a, a helpful example, I think, of how it's helped me in the next few steps later. And, and for me, I've come to realize that my purpose is to be an authentic follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. To use my gifts and talents to impact people's lives, and, and with that, I feel that my purpose is to, um, for me, to bring order and efficiency, to facilitate kingdom ministry, and to to build into people's lives for life change to the glory of God. My purpose is also to be an excellent wife and partner to my husband. And knowing those things have been extremely helpful for me. And unpacking this value of simplicity in my life and it's given me direction uh, as to the things that are important. Do you know, Bill Hybels, who many of you know, is a very, very well-known Christian leader and pastor and um, wrote a book recently on simplicity. And he said this, he said, my schedule is far less about what I want to get done and far more about who I want to become. And that's a very profound thing too. And I think it links very much with knowing your purpose. Our schedule should be far less about what we want to get done and far more about who we want to become. So step one, know your purpose. And then a really big one flowing from that is, I think it's really important for us to have the right attitude when it comes to our possessions. You know, we live in a society that values things. Um, no one's going to debate that. People think that to be the best, you often have to have the most, um, to be the highest paid, to get all the awards, to be the most popular. Yet what does that do for us in the long run? When our lives pass on this earth, will those things, get us anywhere and the message from the passage in Matthew 6 addresses that and says you know there's far more to living a life for God than accumulating things. Our lives should place so much more emphasis on the unseen and the eternal than the possessions that we're able to accumulate now and in a very interesting book called Plain Living, A Quaker Path to Simplicity, there is some great insight here from Kristen Hadley Snyder and she says "The simplicity is not so much about what we own but about what owns us. If we need lots of possessions to maintain our self esteem and to create our self image and to look good to our neighbours then we have forgotten or neglected that which is real and inward. If our time our money and our energy are consumed in selecting and acquiring and maintaining, cleaning, moving, improving replacing, dusting, storing using, showing off and talking about our possessions, then there's going to be little time, money and energy left for other pursuits, such as the work that we do to further the community of God. So this practice of, of like minimalism when it comes to possessions can be a really valuable support to those seeking to live the simple life. And... I think there's, there's two very valuable insights I've, I've gained from Richard Foster's writings on this that, that has really, I think these insights have really helpful in, in gaining and developing an inner attitude when it comes to simplicity in this area of our possessions. And those two things were that number one, we need to receive everything that we have as a gift from God, and that's the, that's the very first crucial attitude that needs to be placed in our hearts and life. That we actually realise that everything we have is God's gift to us. We don't take anything for granted or have a, a sense of entitlement about this is mine that I have earned. But learn to depend on God even for the simplest things. And then, secondly, because of that mindset, seeing everything as God's gift, to realise then that it's crucial for for me and for us to have our goods and that which we have been given available to other people as well. Because when seeking His kingdom. Those are the kind of outworkings of that, and those are the the attitudes that are going to flow from that mindset of seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Everything you have, Lord, is a gift from you. Everything I have is a gift from you, Lord. And because of that, I can't hold on to it too tightly, but I need to have that mindset of all that I have to be available to others as you so lead and guide. Now remember that... Simplicity. we've said it's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. So if our inward reality is that, that our possessions are ultimately God's possessions, they're going to be used with kingdom purposes in mind, then every part of our lifestyle really needs to reflect those truths. And there are 10 very quick tips I want to leave with you, literally almost as one-liners, that I think have been very helpful around this you know, um, mindset of having a healthy response to our possessions. And the first one is, I think it's important that we... In a world that's saying more, 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 actually as God's people develop a mindset more of desiring and buying fewer material goods. So I really want to challenge us with this. I think if we look at our own lives, so we probably, if we're honest, would say we actually do buy too much. And so this challenge us right up front there. You know, maybe we need to be looking at the things that we're buying and we probably should be desiring to buy fewer things. And also flowing from that as well, practically like just getting rid of all the excess, excess purchases that you really have probably lying around your house that you've never used. And I think if we had to do a great inventory of our homes and lives, we'd be horrified to think how much stuff we have acquired that we actually are never going to use um, and, or anything around that. And I think flowing from that is be, getting to the place of really being honest about the excesses and waste that all of us have in our own lives. Certainly this water crisis has been very, very helpful in developing um, that mindset and that perspective in in my life. And I think having to survive now in so much less water than what we've ever been used to has been an incredibly eye-opening experience to make me realize, certainly for myself, that I used so much water in the past, you know, I used it in excess with a... um, very bad stewarding mindset behind that and took so much of that for granted. And i realized I could actually do with so much less water on a day-to-day basis than I thought of it before. And I've realized that principle applies not just to water, but to everything in our lives. Um, to the power that is so readily available. I probably need a lot less electricity um, than I think I do to actually survive quite adequately. And that relates to any of our possessions. And this is an aside from this, just looking um, Recently, you know, in historic Christianity and Judaism, feasts were always matched by fasts. So there was this abundance, and then it was matched with lack. In order that the people were able to feel the depth of both. But I feel that in our society today, we are encouraged to live in a perpetual state of feasting. And there are very few things in this day and age that are kept only for special occasions. And even just looking at how I was brought up in my generation and how, you know, many, the new generations coming up, what's normal for you actually wasn't very normal for us. And things that were, you know, in the past, really only for a special occasion, like that, you know, whatever it might be, that one chocolate a week, you know, on the Friday night, or if it's actually commonplace for most people now. And because of that, very few things are special. We just have a lot more of them on the special occasions. Simplicity and and fasting, they don't rule out the feasts, but the fasts, they help to keep those feast times special. And I think this is a principle that applies to everything I like to you. Let's be honest about the excess and waste in our own lives and address that. Fourthly, develop a habit of giving things away. Make that as part of your lifestyle. Just giving things away. de If you've got too many possessions, de And uh, sadly, I, not sadly, uh, maybe it'll be a great eye-opener, but I, I would imagine that most of us could probably give away half of our possessions without it even being a serious sacrifice for us. And that says a lot about the privilege in which we live. De-accumulate. I know the... Many young parents now who are wanting to even teach that value to their children and are trying to instill that within them on a, a regular basis, getting their children, even young children, to learn to, to choose to give things away. They don't get new toys coming into their house, but they've already got toys they have to play with. That's, you know, as a new thing comes in, they have to choose to give away something that's precious to them to someone who has not got anything. Then, practically, buy things. Good, helpful practical tip here. We should buy, be buying things not for their status, but because we need them, um, for their usefulness. usefulness. So buy things for their useful, usefulness, not their status. Um, that shouldn't be our sort of measuring stick, whether it comes to clothes or anything else, for while we're buying an, a purchase there. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. And that's quite a challenging one when it comes to the things we buy. You know, obviously an addiction is a a compulsion that you just cannot control there. We don't want to be a slave to anything but God. So refuse those things that you know are going to keep you in prison. Simplicity is meant to be about freedom in our lives, not about slavery in our lives. And then don't believe the hype and be a victim to clever marketing strategies. Often what you have works just fine. And not every new gadget out there needs to be purchased. So just be very discerning and clever with this and put that through that filter. Is that I don't want to be a victim to it. It's a clever marketing strategy. Do I really need to buy this item in my life? And interesting one here, but learn to enjoy things without owning them. And why I thought that was very helpful is I do think owning things has become a bit of an obsession for us. Like we, we like to own things, so we've got control over them. But there are so many things that can be enjoyed today without us actually having to possess them or control them. A lot of things that we could actually share together doesn't have to be ours or belong to us. And so I encourage you to to look at some of those things that you can enjoy without owning them. Um, You know, going to the beach, that's free, you know, the library, whatever it may be, but just to recognize that principle. I don't have to own something to enjoy it, to get a pleasure out of it. And then develop a, a deeper appreciation for creation. And why is that important? I think because simplicity is us discovering again and again that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's. And sometimes just getting out into God's beautiful creation, taking time to go for a walk in the greenbelt, to listen to the birds, to actually stop and smell the flowers, helps to sense for us again And what's just really important and to be seeking the things of the spirit and not the things of the world around us and a last little practical thing around a healthy attitudes our positions is rejecting anything that's going to breed and encourage the oppression of other people and so that might be a bit of work looking into not buying something that's been made by by slaves and often we don't even know that so I recognize that that practical tip might need some hard work in our part doing some research into that. But on another level, it can also mean some heart actions on our side. So, you know, on a possession side and a buying side, okay, I might choose not to buy something that I know has been on the, on the back of, of um, slave labor here. But on a, a heart action and attitude side, it also means that I'm going to choose to do something menial that I would often expect somebody else to do to make sure that my attitude around things and people remains healthy. And I'm not breeding the oppression of other people even in my attitude towards them and, and how I interact with them. Okay, so those are some quick little 10 sub tips underneath the um, possession one. The third thing is avoid debt. So that's the next point there, avoid debt. I know many of you are very young here and think, oh, okay, shut my eyes, it's just, that's for the oldies out there. Shame for all of you. But actually, it's a very practical tip that we can give you as young as possible. And as we're saying, you know, simplicity is all about giving us the freedom to concentrate on what matters most in our life. I'd like to tell you, as young as you have ears to hear, friends, that debt will be the thing that destroys it. And it's important for you to know, young as you are, before you start making those life choices, that debt does have the potential to be... Like a noose around your neck, that can force you to start to order your priorities in ways that just don't match your purpose, and that starts as young as you have money to burn. And I just want to really encourage you to try and not ever get into a position where that defines your life and shapes your life, but to get rid of debt as soon as you can. I think that's one of the best bits of advice that I was ever given, that we've been given as a couple, and um, I recognise there's some things that. It's almost impossible for us not to get it to debt into i mean it's not many of you here can buy a home for cash or um you know potentially even a car for that matter so there, there might be some things like that too but that's maybe the exception to the rule um rather than a mandate for all of the things be very wary of all of those buy now pay later schemes and use very extreme caution before going into debt and in fact maybe even making that choice um to Besides a home, perhaps in a car, not going into debt for other things might mean you go without in many areas of your life, but there's tremendous fruit from living in a space of delayed gratification and actually paying for things that you've waited for and you know you've paid for and don't have anxiety around and a very healthy space to live. And then one that I think is really important for all of us is to declutter your digital life. Now, it's not physical clutter. I think that's the biggest obstacle to the simple life these days, but it's the digital variety. And nothing sabotages our desire to concentrate on what matters most in our smartphones and everything else that comes forth. You know, we, we want to be present with other people, but we're still checking our phones constantly, you know, while we're with others. Um, you know, we want to study in solitude, but we just, you know, can't break away from that cycle of scrolling. Now, we spend more time consulting the Oracle of Google than we do the Word of God. And we know technology dominates our world. And in this constant state of connection, though, it creates an internal as well as external noise. And we are never resting, and we are constantly busy with all the digital stimulus that feeds us. Technology does generate a lot of internal white noise, and it does hinder our ability to focus on people. And I think we know that we, you know, we, we do battle to stay engaged in conversations because of the fact that we're constantly checking, monitoring, tweeting, texting, whatever it may be. And a lot of people have recognized that because of that, we often are in a space where we're devaluing people and undermining our relationships because of our addiction to that space. And the result can be that Day after day, people just are really feeling incredibly restless and and, and scattered, and and life just feels a bit fragmented, and rather than the simplified whole that we'd like it to be. And I know for many of you here, um, that's all you've ever known. I mean, you were born into a world where this was reality. Um, For the other half of this church family here tonight, um, when we were your age, we didn't even know what a cell phone was. I think it was yet to come out and so we have had that perspective of knowing two different kinds of lives and so while many of you are saying, oh, it's because you don't know how to manage it, we would like to just say in that space there too that there is a very real there's some amazing, amazing advantages of technology, but there's some very real challenges that more and more research is supporting and I know when we used to go on mission trips to Together Ferry, one of our, our big things was we used to have a rule about cell phones and I think we only told people when we left for the bus it wouldn't influence the decision to be in the trip. But anyway, the minute they got on the bus, it was okay. We trekking across the country to um, the province furthest away, and the whole time you, you know, gone. There's actually like a sabbatical on cell phones. Besides, once a day they were allowed to phone parents to prove they were alive. And I mean, for most people, I think that was a very traumatic thing to do. I mean, you know tears of trauma you know clearly were evident and it, I mean, it really was a big through people you know there was first of all stuck in a combi for you know nearly a whole day and night with no phone you know and actually had to speak and look out the window and engage and everything and it was a huge adjustment for, for a lot of people but I can tell you every trip we did this um, at the end of that trip we'd have our debriefing time um, and without fail team member after team member would speak about the impact of that digital sabbatical on their souls and on their lives. And became aware of patterns of unhealthiness in in their own lives that they were never, ever aware of before, couldn't pinpoint before. And all of them actually recognized the value of that space. Difficult though it was for a while, but eventually the fruit of that they began to see in their own lives too. So I want to encourage you to learn to unplug, to give your phone, Um, or email whatever it is in that digital space either a a weekly day of rest or even a daily time of rest where you are just not allowed to engage in it and it's not allowed in your space but whatever is necessary you need to develop a a game plan that's going to help you to to use but not abuse technology and in the process actually guard your soul and I don't want to put rules today because I think it looks different for different people. But I think for all of us, we have to have a game plan that's going to protect our souls. And, um, you know, we're trying to work that out practically in our home as well, what that looks like for us. And make, trying to get into rhythm of making those changes where um, the rhythms of disengaging from technology. And yes, it might mean that people can't get hold of us for that space. but. The world survived until the 2000s on that basis, and it will continue to do so without me getting that WhatsApp at 11. Then the next practical thing is just, I think, with this decluttering, is also learning to engage more one-on-one and to make some decisions when it comes to our technology and phones, like, you know, not to constantly be glancing at your phone, looking for the next message when you are meant to be engaging with other people and in conversation with others. And I think we've all got into some super unhealthy habits like that, like going out for coffee with a friend and both of, you know, we've all got our phones on the table and we're like, you know, having coffee with a friend but still, you know, doing business on our phones there. We've got to practice being fully present with people. Learn again to give people full attention and be very discerning about answering our phone calls when we're meeting with people. And there are times, you know, we've got to, it's a, again, it's something personal you've got to work out. But... Um, I've been very challenged on that too, like rhythms of engaging there, and when it's time to meet with someone, we're so conditioned to have our phone with us that if it rings, just just answer it. And I've been very challenged around that too. So I'm trying to make some changes in my life too, whereas when I'm meeting with someone, no, I don't get to answer that phone because that's my space with with you in that meeting time. And so I'm still learning with that too, but those are some practical things I've been challenged on there too. And then another practical tip number five, and this has been a, a big challenge for me, Um, but it's been so helpful manage your energy not your time I've been a great advocate for time management skills manage your energy not your time it's a whole different paradigm because time might be a constant but your available energy isn't and your energy actually is the fuel that propels you throughout time but it's not consistent your energy levels they go up and down throughout the day And there are—I mean, there's a whole lot of different things that kind of impact our available energy here. And I don't want to go into all of them now because I know time's marching on them. But I just wanted to say, you know, one of those things that feeds our energy is our purpose. Purpose, in fact, is the is the core of our energy. Because if you believe that you've got all the time in the world to work, but you aren't focused on what motivates you, you're going to be wasting your time and your energy. But when there's purpose to what you're doing, it just—you know—it compels you to take action and it kind of just sustains and replenishes the rest of your energy sources so when you gain clarity about your why in your life you're going to feel that boost of energy and that why is going to help you to maintain your momentum and continue that long journey towards your purpose but just wanted to say there have been so many books and research written on this subject particularly now even especially in the business world around managing energy in in our spaces and not so much our time. And they all agree that to be a consistently high performer, we have to manage energy and not our time. And by managing your energy, you're then in that space where you're bringing your best to performance, to whatever activity you're coming up with, whether it's been 100% present in a conversation or it's been fully focused on a task you've been given to perform. And some practical tips that I think are important for us as to how does this look in our own life. And I think the first thing is to recognize the race that you need to run. All of us are unique individuals in this and we have to assess our own lives and not somebody else's life when it comes to the energy resources that God has given each one of us and there are some people who seemingly just you know have been a God-given sense of greater degrees of energy than others and you have to own you and how God's made you to be and not try and live according to how you think everyone else thinks you should you've got to know what reigns you and what sustains you which will be completely different to the person sitting next to you what drains you what sustains you and be really honest about the impacts of these things on your energy levels because all of us have got energy drainers and energy givers and we need to know what ours are and then knowing those our schedule should be shaped around that our, our schedule's got to work for us and only us we've got to pace ourselves and not model it in anybody else's life um, I, I read about this, um, I this analogy this week, and I was saying, you know, don't be a professional pretzel. And there was such a lovely picture. Now, a professional pretzel is someone who's always trying to twist um, into someone other than themselves. So they're always twisting themselves into a shape that's not themselves. And I thought it was a really great picture in your mind there. But if we keep being professional pretzels, in other words, keep twisting ourselves into a shape we think everyone wants us to be, that's going to be super exhausting. We cannot be pressurized to be anybody else but ourselves and a question that I think covers all of this and I find most helpful when I've been working with this is what would my schedule look like if God were in charge of it and that's often a very helpful filter for knowing how to manage it and then just quickly some last few points learn to monotask I know you're all fantastic at multitasking but monotasking is the new it word. When was the last time that you did anything, including going to the bathroom, without simultaneously sending a WhatsApp or whatever else, or selecting your next Instagram filter or anything else? Challenge you to answer that one. Within your purpose, you're going to have several priorities. And obviously, you're going to spend every day in your whole life moving and juggling between your different priorities. And while we all have different roles and many roles to play in life, at any given moment, we should be trying to focus fully on the task at hand and being fully present in the role that we're fulfilling in that moment. And so typically, we, we've all been told we have to multitask, but increasingly, people are challenging that perspective. And they're saying, if we are in multitasking mode, dividing up our attention on you know, working for a few minutes, checking our phone for a few minutes, going back to work for a few minutes, back to the phone for a few minutes, actually opposite is true then we're going to be in the opposite as well you know in our leisure time you know, having a bit of fun and relaxing but you know quickly checking a bit of work stuff going back into some you know fun space and then going back there what research has shown is that we're actually doing that um multitasking overwhelms us and we don't give our full potential to everything we do when we attend to multitask no matter how good you might think about it Research says otherwise, that you may be a multifaceted person, but you have to learn the art of monotasking and being single-minded in your moments. And then the last two quickly, just turning your priorities into habits. I think it's very practical and helpful. few things simplify our life, like forming good habits and just making them a part of a regular routine because rather than having to kind of expend the the energy and effort and constantly choosing and re-choosing your priorities it's better to get to the place where your priorities just practically kind of unfold and autopilot in a way so you know instead of having to force yourself to get out of bed every morning to go on that run or the cycle and you know you just do it you get to the place where that's it's a a habit i just do it i don't have to question myself and oh is it right today i just do it because habits they take your priorities from things that you have to like, kind of grit your teeth to do to just things that you just do, and they become a habit. And initially, yes, habits take a lot of time to develop because you know you have to consciously kind of you know, think about developing these habits, and that kind of focused thought, yes, it does require a lot of energy, but once that habit is established, it's gonna save you a, a huge amount of energy and time because those routines will just be automatic and they won't require any thought. So take those priorities, things that are really important to you. Turn them into habits in your life. And the last practical tip here is learn to say no. When you seek to embrace the pattern of simplicity, you, as I said before, you're not necessarily going to be doing less in general, but you are going to be doing less of everything that's peripheral to your purpose so that you can do more of what matters most. So rather than doing everything, you're gonna be concentrating more and just doing those things that are fueled by your purpose-driven priorities. And that's why purpose is really at the heart of simplicity there. So you do need to have a good sense of what you care about and what you are gonna be spending your time, your money, and your energy on. But because of this, having that focus and being driven by our, our purpose, we have to learn sometimes be ruthless in saying no saying no to anything and everything that's not aligned with where god is calling us and where our purpose is taking us and it does mean that in order to embrace this pattern of simplicity in our lives that actually some people are going to be really disappointed and you're going to let some people down but we have to learn to say no and sometimes that answer is not going to be a forever no but it's going to be a no for now. But you're also going to not only have to say no to people who ask you to do things, but also no to other bad habits that you've lived in your life. Habits of laziness or whatever it might be, um, or tiredness or living on empty. Not just no to the obviously bad things, but also no to the goods so that we can concentrate on what God has led us to believe is the best. Because saying no to one thing means we're able to, with real freedom and passion and purpose, say yes to the things that really matter to us. And so in conclusion, I just wanna say that true happiness is never gonna consist of things. Contentment is never gonna be found through satisfying the desires of this life. But living a life of true simplicity it does lead to a life of contentment. Because simplicity, when it is handled properly, it removes the noise, it removes the, the clutter that threatens to steal that sense of peace, that sense of intimacy with Christ. It enables us to live a life of fulfillment and purpose, where we can be free to experience what it really means to say, It is well with my soul because simplicity should breed the spiritual fruit the spiritual fruit of joy in each one of our lives it should never take it away so just as I have been deeply challenged I want to challenge and encourage each one of you to make the decision to live a life of simplicity by building your life around the priorities that matter most to you Priorities that are shaped by a sense of God-given purpose and God-given direction. Because I really do believe the Spirit is speaking into our frenetic lifestyles at this time. And saying to us, I'm calling you to be still and to know that I am God. And will we listen to that voice and to that invitation? I'm going to ask Tams just to come up and show if you can just put the slide on before that is a a quick summary for us of some of those eight points and as Tams is going to play a bit um, just give some instrumental worship here and if your eyes are great you can look at those maybe eight points there and just spend some time as she's playing to seek the Lord on perhaps an area of challenge for you is there an area there that the Lord is highlighting in your life that you need to pay some attention to? Is it around your areas of, of purpose and identity? Is it around your attitude when it comes to things and possessions? Is it around the attitude of always wanting to have stuff, even if it puts you in a place of challenge to get it, avoiding debt? You've been challenged about taking time out to declutter your digital life so you've got space to be still and know. been challenged perhaps around how you're managing your energy and what you're using your energy for? Where are the areas in your life that you need to really focus and do things with with purpose and with excellence? What are some of the priorities that perhaps God's really challenging you to, to make into habits in your life? And what are some things that perhaps you need to be saying no to in order for you to say yes to some of the deeper things that God is calling you into? Remember in the beginning I said the purpose of the spiritual discipline of simplicity is to achieve your spiritual purpose. You have a unique personal ministry to offer. Each one of you has an individual mission to fulfill. There are things for you to do that only you can do. You have a sacred obligation to become who you are. And you can only fulfill this calling by becoming a wise steward of your precious, divinely appointed, gifted time and resources. Just allow the Lord to personally speak to you in this space. And Tams is going to lead us from that into a closing song of worship and proclamation to bring our time to a close.